Well, good morning, church. All right, we'll take that, I guess. Let's go. Hey, crank that speaker up again. All right, guys, if you have your Bibles, let's open those up to Acts chapter 9. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 32, and we're going all the way to Acts eleven eighteen this morning. All right, and if hearing that makes you wonder if you're going to make it to your lunch appointment today, I got no guarantees for you, so I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, we have uh, a lot to read, but there's one major theme throughout this entire thing, so we're not going to go off on a whole lot of rabbit trails and tangents this morning. Uh, so there's work to be done, uh, but I should be able to get it done in about the same amount of time as I usually do. All right, so... Let's pray together. Looks like everybody's got Acts chapter 9. And then uh, on your worship guide, you, there are a couple other places. If you want to go there, I'll be reading from those as well. Uh, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we're grateful uh, that we get to come before you and sing your praises and open up your word. And we're grateful that, as the last song said, you are our lighthouse, Lord. We can follow you. We can know that you will carry us through all the storms. And Lord, as we jump into Acts chapter 9 today, I'm grateful to know that your gospel goes before all the nations, Lord, and we know for a fact that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that stand before you and worship you uh, before the throne, Lord. And so as we uh, open your word today, I pray that the Spirit would be uh, opening our hearts, opening our eyes and our ears and our minds. Lord, help us to see uh, well what you would have us to do based on what we see in your word here today. Uh, it's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen. All right, so as we have been working through the book of Acts over the last several weeks, we've been seeing some mighty works of the Spirit for the last several chapters. All right, many people across the Jewish spectrum have been coming to faith. Do y'all remember that? All right, going all the way back to Acts chapter 8, we get to see the Samaritans come to faith. The Samaritans had this weird hybrid uh, Jewish faith thing, all right, where they had in intermarried with some other people, and so they didn't hold to a solid Jewish faith, but there was still some of that in there. They believed in the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, but the rest of it they didn't hold to. Uh, but they still were connected a little bit through that, and they, we get to see in Acts chapter 8 a breakthrough in salvation after Philip leaves Jerusalem because of persecution. He goes to Samaria and he shares the gospel with them there and they just start coming to faith. All right, and then shortly after that, you would think that the Lord would leave Philip there for a while, uh, but the Lord calls Philip out into the middle of nowhere. He says, go to the desert road and Philip just goes. He leaves this amazing uh, act of the Spirit where all these people are coming to faith and he goes to a potentially deserted road out in the desert and there he finds the Ethiopian eunuch um, who had some kind of connection to the Jewish faith. We don't know how or why, but he had been to Jerusalem to worship and when he runs into Philip, Philip shares the good news about Jesus with him as he's casually reading 
you know, the book of Isaiah, and he shares Jesus with him, and then the eunuch comes to faith in Christ. And we don't know this from Scripture, but church history tells us that when he goes back to Ethiopia, he shares the, the faith there. He becomes a missionary uh, there in Africa. And then after this, beginning in Acts chapter 9, we saw the conversion of Saul. Right? We go from a man who is a pious Pharisee and who is terrorizing the Christian church as he's going to persecute more Christians. He encounters Jesus on the Damascus Road and he comes to faith because of that experience. He goes from a persecutor of the faith to probably the greatest missionary who has ever lived. And we get to see that later, that experience with Jesus on the Damascus Road is going to qualify him as an apostle. And so to be an apostle, you had to see the risen Christ with your own two eyes. And because he sees him there on the road to Damascus, he becomes an apostle later and he writes a good portion of the New Testament. And this morning, we're going to see another major work of the Holy Spirit that's going to change many things in the first century church. Like what happens today in the book of Acts is going to be groundbreaking. Because right? what we're going to see is the conversion of Cornelius and his family. Cornelius and his house. And Cornelius and his family are considered to be the first Gentiles to come to faith and with their salvation, we see for certain that salvation is available to all nations and all people across the world. Anyone who will repent of their sin and profess their need for a Savior can be saved. Right? If the Gentiles can come to faith, anybody can come to faith. And as we're going to see, this is going to require some major changes in the way that the Jewish Christians view their relationship with God. Right? Things are about to change. And they're going to need to change how they think about the mission of God. All right? There's a, an adjustment that's going to come because of all that we see here today. You see, in the Jewish mind at this point, there are only two people groups. Right? We think of all these different people groups. In the Jewish mind, there were two. There were the Jews and the not-Jews. Right? The Jews and the Gentiles. And that's it. Right. They believe the Jews believe that salvation belongs to them because they are the people of God. And if we think about it, it's easy to see why they would think this way. If you've read the Old Testament, you can see God saying things like this to Israel in Deuteronomy 26, 16 to 19. It says the Lord, your God is commanding you this day to follow these statutes and ordinances. Follow them carefully with all your heart and all your soul. Today you have affirmed that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in His ways, keep His statutes, commands, and ordinances, and obey Him. And today the Lord has affirmed that you are His own possession as He promised you, that you are to keep all His commands, that He will elevate you to praise, fame, and glory above all the nations He has made, and that you will be a holy people to the Lord your God as He promised. All right, so, I mean, why wouldn't they think that they're above everyone else when God is doting on them in this way? In passages like Leviticus 18.24, God tells the Jews to be distinct from all the nations. Right, you're to stand out. You're to be 
the lighthouse, the light shining on the hill, showing people how to worship Yahweh. And the reason why God wanted the Jewish people to be distinct, distinct from the rest of the world was to preserve the integrity and the holiness of those people. Right? He wants these people to bring Him honor and glory, and He wants them to show the world what it looks like to worship Him. Like That is their purpose. That is their goal. And so that's why we see a ton of ceremonial laws uh, that were meant to set them apart from the rest of the world. That's why the, the ordinance or the covenant of circumcision was implemented. Right? These people are set apart for God. And that's why God didn't want the people of Israel intermarrying with other nations. It had, no, it had nothing to do with disdain for the nations. Right? God's not a racist. Like that wasn't the issue here. That what he was trying to do is he was trying to keep the worship and honor of Yahweh as pure as possible. See, when we start to bring in little bits and pieces from different religions and different cultures into the Christian faith, then we create a faith that is no longer what God has described in the Bible. And so he was trying to keep this as pure as possible so he didn't want intermarriage with Jerusalem and or with the Jews and other nations. And one of the other websites that I frequent when I'm studying for sermons said this, and this is a paraphrase, it's not exactly a quote. It says, the Jews were meant to be a nation of priests, prophets, and missionaries to the world so that the world would know the greatness of Yahweh and that they would understand that a Redeemer has come to save them from sin. That's Israel's purpose. But the problem is Israel misunderstood the nature of being the chosen people of God and they began to believe that God only cared about them. Right? It didn't, the other nations weren't important because Israel were the chosen people of God. Maybe the people that would convert uh, to Judaism might be included in that. But because they were the chosen people of God, they thought, well, we're the only ones that matter. And because of this, they became filled with pride. They began to have disdain for anybody who wasn't of Israel. Right? To be a Gentile in their mind was to be a dog. Right? I mean, a dog. You don't get much lower than that. Um, and then, so what they would do is to keep them separated from these Gentile dogs, they would create traditions that would intentionally divide them. Right? To keep the Gentiles away. And because of this, no Orthodox Jew would ever go into the home of a Gentile. Right? Even... One such as Cornelius, we're going to see that he is given the title of God-fearer. And we don't know exactly what that means, but nobody, no Orthodox Jew is going to sit down at the table with this God-fearing Gentile, no matter how much he feared God, if he had not converted fully to Judaism. And this is a largely misunderstood aspect of their relationship with God, because from the very beginning, God intended for the gospel to go to the nations. Right From the beginning, God's message of salvation through Christ was meant for the entire world. God says so as much in Genesis 12, 1-4. He's speaking to Abraham. He says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Right? The people of Israel were meant to be a blessing to the world. And we're going to see with the conversion of Cornelius that the blessing of God has been indeed extended to all the people in the world. This would have been considered the ends of the earth to them at this time. But it's going to take a special act of God to convince a devout Jew like Peter to engage with a Gentile. And that's part of what we're going to see today. Right? When we dive into the scripture, we're going to see God expanding Peter's understanding of the people of God. Right? What we're going to see is God expanding Peter's understanding of the church's mission. And because Peter is faithful and he listens and obeys God's command here, the Gentiles are going to enter into the family of God. The Gentiles are going to be part of God's kingdom. All right, so we've got some work to do. We've got a lot of stuff to read here. And so with that, let's dive in. Acts chapter 9, we're going to read verses 32 to 43. It says, as Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, she was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in an up, a room upstairs. Since little was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming to us. Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs, and all the widows approached him weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. I'm not, I'm not spending any time here today. Okay? Um, it's not that these miracles are not important. I mean, this is huge. You see him healing someone and bringing someone back from the dead. So this is not something to just gloss over. Uh, there are two amazing miracles, but we've talked about the significance of miracles already in the book of Acts. We've talked about the significance of miracles throughout Jesus's ministry as we were uh, walking through the book of Matthew. Uh, and so uh, I've got some other things that I want to spend time on uh, just remember that miracles are always pointing to the message. That's the, that's the exclamation point on the message of God saying that Jesus is salvation offered to sinners. And so when we see this, this is what we need to be thinking about. Like Peter has gone out. There's apparently been some peace that occurred. Uh, we saw that in uh, Acts 9.31. Some peace has occurred in Jerusalem, so the apostles are leaving the church there and going out and meeting with the saints. Uh, and so the big idea here is we see that Peter is in Joppa and he's staying with a man, uh, a tanner named Simon. 
And so from there, Acts 10, 1-8, says there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable, charitable deeds for the Jewish people, and he always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel, an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him in awe, he said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so here, Luke introduces us to a man named Cornelius who is part of the Roman army, part of the military, and he's just an overall good guy. Like, again, one of these, like if somebody remembers your name and they, they remember you like Cornelius, that's not a bad legacy to leave behind. Like he's a good man, a God-fearing man, and even the Jews respect this guy because of how good he is to the people around him. And, but we, we see here, though, um, that he is a God-fearer. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he worships Yahweh. In fact, he probably doesn't at this point. For him to be considered the first Gentile uh, convert, he's probably not a Jew. Right? He's not someone that has converted to Judaism at this point. All we can know for certain from this description that we have is that he acknowledges a divine higher power. And we, we're going to see other people in Acts that have that same mindset, that they see uh, a creator in things or creators in multiple gods. I mean, the Romans typically believed in uh, polytheism, which is many gods. And so... All we know uh, is that he has uh, an ambivalent worship of God that's about to change significantly. Like it's not going to be a, a, a casual relationship with the Lord uh, after uh, Peter arrives. And so uh, we see here in a vision from God that an angel comes to him. He tells him to send for Simon Peter and he tells him where he can find him. He gives him, you know, the general direction. Go, go to Joppa. He's in Simon the Tanner's house, which is by the sea. And after the vision, Cornelius sends out a servant, uh, two servants and a soldier to go get Peter. And what we see next is what I was talking about before, about God expanding Peter's understanding of the mission. About He's expanding Peter's understanding of what it means to be part of the church. And this is necessary because without this vision from the Lord, there's no way that Peter's going with these servants from Cornelius. Like, there's no way that these servants of Cornelius get past his gate, right? Because he can't be in that close association with the Gentiles. He's not going to invite them into his home. If he were to do that, then he would be considered unclean. And so beginning in Acts 10, verses 9 to 16, it says, The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, so that's the people that Cornelius has sent, it says, As they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. And again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. So the men are on their way, right? Cornelius has had this vision. He sends the men on their way. Peter goes up to the rooftop of Simon's home near noon in order to pray. And according to the commentaries that I read, if you needed time alone, you went to the roof. Like there's, no other, there's no other space in these houses. Everything is tiny. And so if you're wanting to be alone, you go up to the roof. And while Peter is up on the roof, he sees a vision. In that vision, he sees something like a tablecloth come down with all kinds of animals on it that the Jews have been forbidden to eat for 1,500 years. Okay? 1,500 years worth of these are unclean, don't touch, these are unclean. We see that in Leviticus 11, you've got a list of dietary restrictions for God's people. And on that list, there's restrictions about eating pork, shrimp, shellfish, other types of seafood, most insects, any kind of a scavenger bird, and various other animals. And all of this was meant to separate Israel out from the rest of the world, right? Again, all of this ceremonial law was meant to show that Israel walks to the beat of a different drum and they're doing this in honor of God, right? Because it's not moral. It's not immoral to eat these things, right? I mean, eating a pork chop is not the same thing as murdering someone. Right? So you've got a ceremonial law and you've got a moral law. The ceremonial law no longer applies. The moral law will stand forever. But the ceremonial law was meant to make them distinct from everyone else. Right? So that's the reason why they're not allowed to eat these animals. But now, because Jesus has come, because he lived a perfect life, he fulfilled all the law, all the moral law and all the ceremonial law. And after he died on the cross for our sins, the ceremonial law is no longer necessary. Right? This whole process of, oh, you touch something unclean, now you got to go cleanse yourself, and you got to wash your hands this many times, you got to hop on this foot and dust yourself off, and all these things that you had to do to become ceremonial, <laughs> ceremonially clean is no longer necessary. Jesus fulfilled all all of the ceremonial law. So none of those laws apply to us anymore. So God says, because of Christ, all the stuff on that tablecloth are fair game. Right? So now we can have the pork chops and the bacon and the seafood and everything else. But Peter is a devout Jew. All right? But you might think, well, but I thought he was a Christian. Well, the issue here is that he's still a Jew. That culturally, his heritage is being a Jew, but he is now a Jewish Christian, right? Because his faith and his ethnicity are all wrapped up into one. It's all the same thing. So he is still a devout Jew, and while he is now following Christ, he has 1,500 years of history backing up this moment where God suddenly opens a door to something that was previously closed, and he hesitates. I've heard a lot of people give Peter grief. You're, oh, there's Peter arguing with God again. Like, tell me you wouldn't argue with God in this moment. I mean, are you sure, Lord? Like, are you sure I can eat this? For 1,500 years, this was off the pallet. And all of a sudden, you're going, kill and eat. 
Like, I can just do that now? Are you sure? Peter says, nope. When the voice says, get up, Peter killing it, he says, nope, I've never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. And the voice informs Peter that these animals are no longer ritually unclean. I mean, it's going to take him a minute to get used to this idea. Everything has been purified by Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. And there's no longer any reason for the Jewish Christians to maintain the ceremonial laws. And it's going to take him a minute to get used to that. I mean, ultimately, though, this isn't about food. It's about the men who are coming to visit him and their request to have him come into their master's house. Right? This would have been a huge no-no in Jewish circles. Like, letting these men pass the gate doesn't happen in a traditional Jewish home. Right? The Jews do not go into a Gentile's dwelling. They certainly don't eat their food. And yet God here is changing Peter's understanding of the mission of the church. These foods are no longer unclean and the Gentiles are no longer unclean either. Right? That's the target now. And Peter is being sent out by God to engage this target. The mission of the church has extended to the Gentiles. In Acts 10, 17-23, it says, While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation has divinely directed, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day, he got up, set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. All right, so suddenly, Peter is immediately confronted with the opportunity to be obedient to the Spirit's leading. And I can only imagine what a challenge the next few days of Peter's life would have been. Right? All of a sudden, this that was off limits completely is now your mission. Right? A large part of what he understood about life and faith has been significantly changed. And as soon as he turns around, I mean, he hadn't even got off the roof yet. There's an opportunity to be obedient by ignoring something that you have honored for your whole life. I mean, we, we have a tendency to breeze past this part of Scripture because often we approach Scripture like it was written for us. I mean, it is for us, but it wasn't written to us. Does that make sense? Like, this was written to people uh, in the first century. And so we don't grasp how huge of a deal this is for Peter. Like we see it, we hit it, we, we, we keep going forward. But his notion of purity and the ceremonial law is pulled down by God. And now there are Gentiles waiting for him to serve the Lord by coming to their master. And he brings them into the house where he's staying. Like immediate obedience and 
says, okay, Lord, you said it, let's go. I mean, for his whole life, he had been told, stay away from these people. Stay away from this food. And all of a sudden, we see him opening his doors to a bunch of Gentiles. It's, it's crazy how quickly he responded with obedience. Because of our place in history, it's hard for us to relate exactly to what's happening here. All right, so this would have, as a church, this would have the significance of us changing every tradition that you have grown to know and love about this church for the last 80 plus years. All right, and that's not even a drop in the bucket compared to the 1,500 years that this was a tradition for the Jews. All right, so imagine changing everything that you love about this church all at the same time. All of it. I mean, we're changing the name. We're changing the worship time. We're changing how Sunday school is done. We're switching out the juice of communion to wine, right? We're changing out the look of the church. We're changing where you all sit, right? We're going to change how the business meetings are run. We're changing when homecoming happens. We're selling the land that the ball field and the old community building is on. We're selling it. It's gone. So any kind of affection that you have for that is no more. It's out of here. Everything is changing. How do you feel? How do you feel right now? Like I'm sure some of you just at the notion of some of those things would feel angst building up in your heart. I like those things. That's how I've done it for the last 60 years. I don't know how to do anything different when, than sit in this one spot, right? I know how the sound's going to bounce off the wall right here into my hearing aid, and I got it. I understand. But you're asking me to sit over there? I don't know how to function from doing that, right? Imagine if God called you to do all of that immediately, right? Anybody here feeling like they're about to hyperventilate? <laughs> change. I don't I don't want to change. Now imagine you're Peter. And you've been told that the clean and the unclean thing, that's not, that's not happening anymore. Right? That's just out the window. This thing that you have been honoring for the, your whole life, it's out the window, window and knock, knock, who's there? The Gentiles. Like you didn't even get to come down off the roof. You didn't get to process all of this. And all of a sudden... Like that thing that you were just told is in real life action right now. And what does Peter do? With these people, he was supposed to never let him in the house. He lets them spend the night. Right? No time to ponder. No time to pray in order to get your head around it. Right? No time to protest. Just a change in his understanding and immediate obedience is called for. Praise the Lord for Peter's obedience. May God make us people who respond like that. God says, do it, and you can just think it's done. Because I will obey my Lord no matter what He calls me to do. Right? I'm sure this was a very confusing time for him. All of this stuff is coming what seems to be unwound for him, and yet he responds with obedience. Continuing on, in Acts 10, 24 to 33, it says, The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I am a man 
I, I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came out came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and, Cornelius, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He's lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So I immediately sent for you, and it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. So anytime you hear repetition like this, because this, this is the second time we've heard Simon's or Cornelius' story here, it, it, God is saying, pay attention. Right? When you hear repetition in Scripture, you need to pay attention to what's going on. And Peter, he goes with Cornelius' servants, arrives at Cornelius' house. Cornelius tried to worship the guy. He's like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. That, I'm not that guy. You know, I'm the guy that will tell you about that guy, but that's not me. Right? You don't worship me. Peter informs the Gentiles about the rules that used to exist that don't exist anymore. Right? He's trying to get everybody else to understand what he's going through here. And he wants to know what's going on. Cornelius explains his vision and wants to hear uh, a word from the Lord via Peter's words. So he and his people are ready to go. Right? This is a God-fearing man who has gotten a vision from the Lord and the Holy Spirit has prepared their hearts and they're chomping at the bit ready to hear the gospel. I mean, this is kind of like that, that T-ball thing that Philip experienced with the Ethiopian eunuch. Like, please, somebody set that up for me to where all I got to do is walk in the door and they say, tell us something about Jesus, go. Right? I want some of that. And at that, Peter begins to tell them about the gospel. Acts 10, 34-48, Peter began to speak. He says, Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning with, from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins." And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. And then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Then they asked him to stay for a few days. And so as Peter is preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on those who are hearing it. And they are suddenly speaking in tongues and declaring the glory of God. And I've often wondered, like, is, is there such a thing as godly coveting? Like, can I covet this moment and want that? I want it really, really, really bad. I mean, I would love to experience this. You've got one day, right, just in the middle of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit opens up like the thunderstorm that rolled through here earlier this morning. The floodgates of His presence and power are unleashed and everyone in this place is just filled to the brim with the joy of the Lord. What would that be like? I mean, they're proclaiming His greatness. They're speaking in tongues. And I mean, what would it look like if the Holy Spirit would open up the doors and just blow us out of this place with His presence? We would see lives changed from death to life. We would see people going through the water of baptism. I mean, what, what an experience. And I want that for this place. Right, Peter got to experience that as the Lord welcomed the Gentiles into the church. And now people that had previously been shown disdain for the Jews and the Jews shown disdain for them are now brothers and sisters in Christ. Right, Peter didn't even get to finish what he was saying before the Holy Spirit fell. He's like, these people are mine and just took them. And now they're brothers and sisters in Christ. The Apostle Paul will say this in Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. This is amazing. All these things that we would use to divide us have just gone to the wayside. Like they don't matter anymore. Paul's not saying here though that there's no distinction between the Jews and the Greeks. He's not saying there's no difference between the males and the females. We all have different roles that we're to play, but what he's saying is that within the church our identity first and foremost is that of a follower of Christ. Right? So I don't I don't walk around here strutting about because of my heritage. Right? If I have anything to boast in, it's I boast in the salvation that is offered by faith in grace through the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. That is who I am. It's not where I go. It's not where I went to school. It's not how much money I have. It's not any of the other things that we might use to identify ourselves. At this point, it's only do you know Jesus or not? And if we all know Jesus, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Peter, Peter, in, in the words of Desi from I Love Lucy, he got some explaining to do, okay? Because he now has to go to Jerusalem and explain what happened to the people of, in Cornelius' home. Here again, we can easily overlook what is about to happen to Peter. I mean, it works out 
But he still has to stand before the people and explain to them that he's following the Lord when he seemingly disregards 1,500 years of ceremonial law. Just like that, all of a sudden, now he's being brought up before the church council and he's going to have to explain himself before them because of a vision. And nobody else got this vision, only Peter. And so now he has to explain this. And I'm guessing that this conversation that he's about to have in Acts 11, 1 to 18 is rather tough. It says there, the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were brought through Judea, uh, brought, who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Right, so this is, this is the apostle, right? He's the guy. He's the leader of these men, and yet they're calling him out on the carpet because of the choice that he made to be in the presence of uncircumcised men, and he ate with them. And then beginning in verse 4, Peter begins to explain with, to, to them step by step, and Beginning in verse 5 to verse 16, Peter just recaps everything that's happened with the Gentiles uh, from his vision to Cornelius' vision. All right, so we're not going to read all that. All right, it's just a recap. So it's another repetition. Again, God is saying, hey, this is really important. You should pay attention to everything that's going on. And then picking up again in verse 17, Peter says, if then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? And when they heard this, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, So then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. And so at first, Peter gets criticized for his role in the Gentiles receiving salvation. The Jewish Christians, they don't yet understand this change that happened in the mission of the church. They don't understand this change that happened in who's in and who's out. Right? Peter really hasn't even had time to figure all this out yet. And so as he explains it, though, after giving that explanation, they understand and they give glory to God for including the Gentiles in salvation. Right? This is amazing. Right? If, it, if not for this, then we're not here. Like I don't know you, all of your stories, but as far as I'm aware, none of you are Jewish. I mean, I could be wrong. So if this doesn't happen in Scripture, you're not here. You are not saved. You do not get to have a relationship with God the Father if He didn't, in His grace and mercy, extend salvation to the Gentiles. Like, this is a big deal for us. It's a big deal. One of the things that we need to realize is that even though Peter goes through all of this, even though it is a huge deal, Peter will still struggle with this from time to time. Don't we all experience fear of man every now and then? All right. So later on, we're going to see in the book of Galatians that Paul had to call Peter out because he was acting like a Gentile until the circumcision party showed up. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't associating with the Gentiles anymore, and he was acting like a Jew. All right. So he's living a hypocritical life. And Paul calls him out. He says, I confronted him to his face. Right? So even though Peter has experienced this, he went through all of this, saw the vision, 
had to explain all this, he still struggles from time to time with the implications of this. Right? It's not easy. And so what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, number one, in your application there, the gospel is for everyone. Right? The gospel is for everyone. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be standing around the throne of God singing praises to Him once all this stuff has wrapped up. The gospel is for everyone. So we need to be mindful of that as we have these opportunities to share our faith. Right? We need to speak the truth to everyone who will listen. We will need to be praying for those people because the gospel is available to everybody. Right? We've been saying that for a couple of weeks now. Right? If Saul can come to faith, if the Gentiles can come to faith, if the Samaritans will come to faith, then anybody can come to faith. And we need to be working towards that. Number two, prejudice is sinful in all of its forms. Period. Right? There, there's never a time when it's okay to be judgmental about someone else based on something that's different about them than for you. All right, is there anybody, if you, would, if you would take an honest look at your life, is there anybody, any group of people that you would hesitate or neglect to take the gospel to because of blank? And you can fill in the blank with whatever you like. Right? Because prejudice takes a ton of different forms, right? It could be race, it could be age, it could be their gender, or in this day and age, it could be their lack of gender, right? It could be their se sexual orientation, it could be their socioeconomic status, their marital status, their piercings, their tattoos, whatever it is. Like, is there somebody, a type of person that pops up in your mind that you say, no, 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 I would never take the gospel to them? I would never take the gospel to them. Right? And if that's the case, then you and the Lord need to do some work together because every aspect of prejudice is sin. Right? When you distance yourself from someone else because they are somehow different from you, then you are existing in sin. And I don't care how much work we do. There is always, in human nature, there's this notion of us versus them. Okay? It doesn't matter if everybody in this place was the same race, the same age, the same political affiliation, whatever it happens to be. If we all had the exact same design or whatever, like at some point we would find a way to make an us and a them. That's human nature. But it's not to be that way in the church. Like as Christians, we are supposed to see everyone as created in the image of God. Everyone has value and worth. Nobody is beyond the saving grace of the gospel. And we should be willing to walk into even our own prejudices so that we see people coming to faith. Is there somebody, a group of people, that you would hesitate to take that message to simply because you don't like them? If that's the case, we need to do some work with the Lord right now. 
Since the gospel is for everybody and prejudice is sin, no matter what form it takes. Let's pray together. Father, it is a joy to worship you, to know that you have crossed so many different barriers to have us here in this place, to know that your sovereign plan was never just to focus solely on Israel, but to use Israel as a a guide for how to worship you. And I'm so thankful that Peter was willing to be obedient to your call on his life to come into that relationship with Cornelius so that the Holy Spirit might fall on the Gentiles. Everyone who calls on your name as Lord in this place says thank you, Lord Jesus, for bridging that gap into our lives so that we could have a relationship with the Father. Lord, help us to be people who realize the importance of the gospel and are willing to do whatever is necessary to take that gospel into the world, into a place that is lost and dying, into a place that may have people in it that we don't like that much. Lord, help us to see that prejudice in any form is sinful and that all people are created in your image no matter what they do with their life. And Lord, there's no one that is so far away in their pursuit of sinful pleasure or power or whatever it might happen to be. Lord, no one is too far away from the saving faith of Jesus. So Lord, let us be on our knees in prayer and let us be wearing out the pavement as we go to take this message to the world. I ask this in your son's precious name. Amen.